Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode five, and I'm excited to share with you an interview with Reverend Rob McCoy and Reverend Eric Fissler. In addition to being pastors, they're also hosts of the Pulpit Fiction Podcast, where they help preachers prepare by digging deeply into the week's lectionary passages. I'll let you know at the end of the show how you can send your feedback, and I would love to hear what you think about today's interview. And I'll incorporate some of your feedback into the mid-month episode coming in just a couple weeks. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Rob and Eric, the guys behind the Pulpit Fiction podcast. Well, I am extremely excited today uh, to have the hosts of the Pulpit Fiction podcast with us today, Reverend Rob McCoy, who's the pastor at Two Rivers United Methodist Church in Rock Island, Illinois, and Reverend Eric Fissler, who is the new pastor at First Congregational Church in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to be here today. That's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're happy to do it. Awesome. Well, this uh, is a brand new podcast we just launched last month, and so we are now at the beginning of December. Uh, but one of the inspirations for starting this podcast was listening to you guys' podcast, and so it's certainly an honor for me to have you guys here today. And as we jump into it, would you tell me a little bit about yourselves in the context of your ministries and churches? Yeah, sure. I'll start. Um, so I'm a United Church of Christ pastor, and I'm actually uh, on the other side of a transition. So just beginning um, as the senior pastor of First Congregational Church of Crystal Lake, and uh, which is uh, quite a difference. I was I've been in New England for the last uh, nine years, just about eight eight years, nine years, something like that. Was in Northampton, Massachusetts as an associate pastor, and then a solo pastor in uh, the wilds of Connecticut in West Suffield, Connecticut, and so. <laughs> Um, started a street church in Northampton called Cathedral in the Night with uh, an Episcopal priest and a Lutheran pastor, and that was great. It's still thriving and uh, very happy about that. And we're, gosh, just about what, Rob, three years in on Pulpit Fiction. Yeah, almost. And I'm Rob, and I'm a United Methodist pastor in Illinois. I'm, I've been in the Quad Cities for about five years now. I'm at, uh, I've only been at uh, Two Rivers United Methodist in Rock Island for a little over a year. Yeah, so I, I've been in Illinois Pretty much, you know, grew up there. We, Eric and I, we met at uh, Eden Theological Seminary in St. Louis and um, have been friends ever since. And for the last, like, three years, we've been doing this weekly podcast and, and have had a lot of fun with it. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. And I want to encourage our listeners to check out another podcast interview that Eric and Rob did earlier this year. They appeared on the Sermonsmith podcast, which digs deeply into preachers' preparation process. And so if you find that stuff interesting, definitely check out. The whole podcast is awesome, but the interview with Eric and Rob is really great. And building off that conversation, I'd like to start in a slightly different place by asking you, what's your philosophy or approach to preaching in general? Do either of you maybe have sort of a mission statement or a guiding principle for you when you preach? Yeah, I mean, for me, it always has to be, um, it needs to be rooted in the text. Um, I think that, uh, you know, that's that's part of what preaching is, is opening up the text, um, opening up the challenge of it, um, exploring it with the congregation. Uh, and that kind of goes to the second piece, which is it needs to be text-focused, and it needs to be a sermon that I need to hear. Um, so it can't just be something that, um, you know, that I've figured out and now I'm going to bestow my, <laughs> my word, my wisdom yeah. upon, you know, the laity, like it's gotta be something that often that I need to, that always something I need to hear. And often something that I am personally, usually like if there's a challenge in the text, 
then and that challenge comes out in the sermon, it's always typically something that I struggle with as well. Mm. Yeah, I think I've, I've been informed a lot by um, Adam Hamilton and uh, Robert Schneezy, who talks about you know passionate worship. And I think a sermon, um, good sermons make you think, and they make you feel something. I, I want people to to think something about something in a new way, to learn something, to to say, oh, yeah, you know, I've never thought of it that way before. That's one of my, the best compliments I, I can get. But I also want people to feel something, to respond in some sort of emotion, either to be inspired or to be uh, challenged or to both feel and to think. I think uh, the best sermons do both. And, you know, I don't think, I don't know if I accomplish it every Sunday, but that's, you know, when I when I set out to, to craft a sermon, that's what I'm thinking about is that response. I, I want it's not just a speech that I'm giving for the sake of giving. I want there to be some sort of response for, from those that are receiving it, too. Tell us a little bit about the origins of the Pulpit Fiction Podcast. What made you want to put in this much time and effort on a weekly basis? <laughs> well, the, the origins, what was it? Uh, the origins came on, on, what, New Year's Eve? I think it was New Year's uh, Eve in our kitchen. Yeah, um, New Year's with, Eve, your kitchen, with, and uh, what, a, a bottle, bottle of, of scotch Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It was something that we'd been thinking about for a long time. That, that's, but that's I think when it really took shape over that conversation, and, and that might have even been when we came up with the name Pulpit Fiction. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, we were we had been talking about. It. I know that I'd been listening to podcasts since '07 and really enjoyed listening to it. You know, one thing that that both Rob and I had enjoyed is the working sermon brainwave from Working Preacher, mm. great podcast and excellently done. But one thing that we had talked about was that. Um, the scholarship is phenomenal, but it's all professors, typically professors from Luther Seminary. And, um, you know, and David Lowe, when he was there, and Carolyn Lewis, and Ralph Jacobson, and Matt Skinner, they do a great job on that podcast. But I wanted, and sometimes I, there were things that were said, and I was like, yeah, but how does this, how exactly does this preach in, you know, the seminary is kind of its own bubble, which is a magnificent bubble that I love, but sure. it's still its own little yeah. bubble. And so, how does this work? And so that's where we started having this conversation and saying, you know, how do we get that to work? And also, how do we create a podcast that not only is authentic and honest and helps engage the scriptures and how you can preach on these texts and do some of that exegetical work, but also provides a community for so many pastors that are isolated because they're out in rural settings, they're out in areas where maybe they don't have colleagues nearby. So to kind of provide some of that virtual community for those colleagues. Well, and I think that was the surprise of it. One of the, the amazing things of this whole thing has been that the, the people that we've reached and the community that's sort of taken shape, and I think it was, for me, it was a later realization that, yeah, I, I was that rural pastor who didn't have a conversation partner for a long time, and how important that, that can be. I think that was a later learning for me, at least. Maybe you had that, you know, that was part of your plan all along. I don't know. It was just... my devious plot. <laughs> <laughs> you were much more, uh, you know, long-sighted than I am, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and, well, and I think, I mean, part of it was, you know, for me, I think uh, three years ago, you know, I, I had been at West Suffield for a little bit and kind of, again, was more of that. I went from Northampton, which is, you know, a very, it's just a very different community, Much, you know, there's just, there's a, it's a university town and it's, there's a lot, there were a lot more colleagues that were right there and immediate and, and it was just a very different feeling um, than going to that and, and 
really missing that community. And that, you know, over the five years I was at West Suffield, you build that up. But when you start in a new place, I mean, uh, realizing this in Crystal Lake too, I mean, you lose some of those clergy colleagues that too often you don't realize how invaluable they are until you don't have them. Mm-hmm. I think there are plenty of podcasts that are started because people were putting in the time or effort or wanted to put in the time or effort into a project and thought, I might as well share this with other people. Was there was there an aspect of that for you all that, you know, this would be a discipline of studying the scriptures on a weekly basis and this would give us accountability? Or uh, if we're already doing this work anyway, we might as well share it with folks. Was there any was there any part of that in the origins? I was actually an associate pastor when we started. And so I was kind of a frustrated preacher. You know, I didn't have the pulpit mm-hmm. nearly as much as I, I was yearning for that. You know, preaching <laughs> is so much of what I do. Yeah. And I think this was, the, the podcast became sort of my, even though it wasn't a sermon, it, it still felt that. It felt like, you know, it was like the sermon prep. It was right up to the doorstep of the sermon. And so that was a, it was important for me to have that, you know, that creative biblical, you know, that outlet, um, uh, that was a big part of why I was drawn to it, especially in the start. Now that I'm preaching every week, it's still a great discipline, um, but you know, it's not the same. It's not quite the same as it was when we started. When I was really, when I felt that inside me, I needed to have this sort of uh, weekly thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that it's um, <laughs> it's a lot more work than I think we, an- at least I anticipated when we started. I mean, it's a. Uh, I mean, it's, it was one of those things where I would love to say like, well, I always spent this much time doing the exegetical work (laughs) into the text, but the reality is, I mean, you didn't, I mean, you have a busy week, something comes up and you just don't get around to it. Or maybe you get around to one of the texts and that's it. Maybe. I mean, or, or you look at it and you say, you know, like the greatest commandment text or the prodigals that you say, ah, I know that text. No, it up, down. I don't need to read any commentaries. I've read enough of it. Or I wrote a paper on this in seminary. And so it's it in that it's been uh i think surprising but in the best of ways you know i mean it's been really good to to do that and to do what really i i feel like we should always be doing the irony of course is when when rob and i are preaching series and we're preaching off lectionary but even then it's still i still enjoy the task of engaging the text even if i'm not preaching on it yeah i was going to ask you, you you all obviously have some sort of affection if not out and out love for the lectionary because you've dedicated yourself to a project like this, uh, but neither one of you are 100% straight lectionary preachers. And so what guides your own discernment and planning process where you decide when you're going to use the lectionary and when you're not going to use the lectionary? Well, I'd say we have a love-hate relationship with the lectionary. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair enough. Yeah, both of us. I mean, it's amazing how many times in the conversation we talk about the lectionary as if it's a person <laughs> right. somewhere yeah. um, that we that we love and both are annoyed with every once in a while. You know, for me, I do retreats. That's a big part of my um, spiritual life and my guidance as a leader, as a church leader, but especially as a preacher. I get away and and I don't have like a set schedule. I just kind of feel when I need to do it. And I tell my wife, I'm like, you know what? I think I need to go away for a little while. And, um, so I, there's a monastery about an hour's drive, you know, so it's not real far, but it's definitely not in town either. And I spend, I'll go on like a Sunday night and come home on a Tuesday morning. You know, it's not a lot of time, but it's enough away time. And I bring, you know, a suitcase with just books and I, and the, the place I go to has a, a great, you know, theological library and, 
and I just sit and read and write and think and, and plan. And I've got my calendar and I try to plot out where we need to go in a lot of prayer and reading and, and writing. And that's something I do. I don't, I'd say roughly two, three times a year. Yeah, I mean, I would say for me, it all it depends on the context. I mean, sometimes it depends on what the congregation's going through. Mm. I mean, and it depends on what what is felt that we need that is needed at that uh, at that moment. Generally, you know, I'm much more of a lectionary preacher than Rob is. When the lectionary works well, it's great, but sometimes it just doesn't it doesn't work. I mean, the lectionary assumes an amount of biblical literacy that just doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, earlier this year we had the Book of Ruth, right? I mean, where you Basically, if you just use what the lectionary does, it writes Ruth out of the story. You think, why is there even a th- why is there even a book of Ruth? Why isn't it the book of Naomi? And yeah. and it really does Ruth a, a massive disservice. The lectionary in those cases isn't really authentic to the text now because whereas once upon a time people would have known more likely the broader story, and so you could tell a snippet of it. People don't know the broader story. They they but they don't know Ruth, much less the average person doesn't know what the Exodus is. Right. To that extent, sometimes the lectionary just doesn't work. But the other, you know, a similar challenge with both series preaching and lectionary preaching is that very few people are going to be there for the whole series. Yeah. And and that's the other challenge is then how do you how do you do that? So it's you know a lot of it depends on what's going on in the the lectionary and what's going on in the church for me. Uh, as, as folks that have worked with it and studied it for so long, are, are there any inherent strengths in it? If, if, for example, there's probably a lot of younger pastors out there that are starting to grow up with only series preachers. They don't have an experience of lectionary, or if they do, it's maybe Advent and Lent at most. Is there, is there a pitch that you guys could give to a pastor who is maybe a little bit leery of the lectionary? Well, there's a ton of help out there for you. You know, I mean, I mean, honestly, if you're, if you're a lectionary preacher, there's a ton of resources. Our podcast is just one of many that is built around that. And so you're part of a community and it's not just about the help. I think it's about the fact that you're part of a community and there, there is something I think very cool about knowing that churches all around the world, this, at this time in this place are going into this text. And, and I think there is something, you know, kind of like, you know, I think about the communion table being not bound by time and space. To a certain extent, if you're using the lectionary, your, your text is not bound by this time. There's a, there's a communion of saints, you know, the great cloud of witnesses that is also participating in this. Mm. So I think there's something very beautiful in that um, sort of church, you know, capital C church body that is um, coming to this text all at the same time. Um, from many different places. I think there's something really uh, wonderful and beautiful about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would add to that, too. I think that one of the dangers that can come from series preaching is you focus on the texts that speak to you. Um, you go to, your, you go to, to the texts that, that come to mind that fit the series that you're most well acquainted with. Right. And while the lectionary doesn't do it even close to as well as it should— um, there are times when it's going to lead you into texts that are uncomfortable, that are challenging. And I do think that the lectionary sometimes pushes us uh, or has the possibility to push us into those areas. Um, and obviously, it's not just a one-all, be-all. There are serious preachers who will push themselves and things like that. Well, I think we heard, when we were talking to Nadia Bowles-Weber, I think she said, you know, or I've heard her say, you know, I just don't trust myself. Mm. Yeah, yeah, to pick the text, like uh, just put it as bluntly as that. And I think there's something to that. That you know, 
and this and I and I am a serious preacher. I do believe, but I go back to lectionary sometimes, and uh, I think there is something to say of you know just trusting that there is a there is a greater wisdom than what I have uh, what than what I've conjured up. Well, and I appreciate too that you encourage folks to not leave out the verses that the lectionary leaves out. Some some of it is to make the story more understandable because as you said it sort of is trying to create a shorthand that, you know, people familiar with the Bible will pick up quickly. But I've I've heard other folks say that whenever you see verses omitted from the lectionary, it's usually due to sex or violence. And and I appreciate that you encourage folks to go ahead and and at the very least dig into the full story if not present the full story in worship. Sometimes the lectionary edits are good. But as you said, yeah, I mean, a lot of times you look at it and you just think, you know, as we just talked about with the book of Ruth a moment ago, but a lot of that, you look at it, it drives Richard Bruxford Colligan absolutely nuts. You know, he's our, <laughs> he's psalms, our psalmist, yeah. and he just says, like, you cannot read a snippet of this. I mean, you wouldn't present just Acts 1 and Act 3 of Romeo and Juliet and expect somebody to get the whole story. Yeah. Um, and let's be honest, I mean, there are huge swaths of the Bible that the lectionary doesn't even come close to. And then there's John who butts his way into everything <laughs> all oh, the time. <laughs> so awful. Those, I've got to say, like that was at five weeks in John 6 this last year is just, it was, oh, it was brutal. I mean, like that was, and that's where both, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I went over, I wasn't going to preach lectionary. I'm not going to spend six weeks on John 6. I will in Bible study, but not in, not in preaching, not in the sermon. I just... You know, and God bless all of those those hardcore lectionary preachers who did. Well, and there's there's also too some alternate lectionaries out there. There's the narrative lectionary. I know there's sort of an extended Advent that's very popular, and other folks may be trying to create new seasons out of the existing lectionary. Are are there any tangents to the lectionary or alternative lectionaries that you all have found interesting? Well, like Brian McLaren's new um, latest book that he wrote, uh, which the road we make the, I, we make we make the road by walking. There you go. I always get that. I always impose that. We walk the road by making whatever. But yeah, yeah, we make the road by walking. I mean, we're basically, that book is an alternative lectionary that takes into account the fact that the majority of the people in the pews may not know the biblical story and ways to engage that in not only a preaching and worship sense, but also in a Bible study. I think that's great. I think the narrative lectionary is good to some extent. I think it needs a lot more work. Um, and hopefully the folks at Luther will forgive me for saying that. I think that it could use a little bit more. I think, I mean, just like with the regular lectionary, it has a certain theological, and I would argue a Lutheran theological bent to it. Um, but I think both those, I like the idea of having the alternative, you know, the season of creation I know is something that kind Mm -hmm. of changes. Uh, I think that those are some good alternatives and, you know, and ultimately, you know, the lectionary is a tool. And so, um, and should always be used as, as a tool. And if that's a helpful tool for both the congregation and the preacher, great. And that's one of the things that uh, Adam Hamilton has shared uh, in, in many, many different venues, is that he views uh, preaching and worship in, in its entirety as sort of part of the act of building the church. And he likens it to building a house. And if you're building a house and you need windows installed on a certain day and they deliver doors, it's not going to be helpful. And so for him, he tries to see what are the building blocks that the lectionary is providing. And if that's where we need to be as a church, then we'll take those up. Uh, you know. But if, if they're not helpful or even counterproductive to where we're trying to go uh, as a church, we'll, we'll look elsewhere. I think a, a, an example, an interesting example of that was um, 
you know, here after, you know, after the Newtown shooting out here, in, you know, when, yeah. when I was in Connecticut, most of the pastors by that Friday had had their sermons well-crafted based on the lectionary. It was Advent and all of that. And the vast majority, you know, those, those, those sermons will never be preached, right? right? I yeah. mean, they had to get tossed out. In the same way that we know many folks, and I, I mean, as you said, you, you've got to deliver what works in the place. And if the lectionary fits, that's great. But, you know, I can't remember what the lectionary passage that was, but if that's, you know, if that was John the Baptist calling a bunch of people vipers and, you know, hypocrites, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's not the word that people need that day. Right. And now, as we, I, I believe we mentioned earlier, you are coming up on the three-year anniversary of starting this podcast, and the lectionary is a three-year cycle. And so as we come up to the beginning of Lent, which is early again this coming year, I think it starts in February, do you all have plans for uh, continuing the show or, or changing things up, or, or are you sort of like the Mythbusters winding things down? Uh, well, we're not. I don't think we're winding uh, things down. No, I think. I mean, our first year was not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't think. I mean, I. You know, we'll. Pro- I. I don't know. I, I've been thinking about this, and I think if when we do start to recycle, um, you know, through the lectionary, I think we might go back to those shows, just kind of as another resource. But you know, three years we've changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, the quality mm-hmm. of the shows changed, but our thinking has changed. We're in different places. Um, I'm okay. I think I'm okay with just saying, you know what, this is year A again, and we're going to, or whatever. I think it's year C. I think we started Lent C. I think we'll just keep going. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that we'll, we're looking at new ways of reaching out and growing. One of those is to try to collaborate more with our listeners and invite, um, and really branch out and have new voices. Um, earlier this year, uh, we kind of experimented a little bit more with having a third chair in which Nelson Pierce joined us, and that was great. We'd like to do more of that. Um, and we'll probably be looking at expanding and growing in that in that arena. But, but yeah, I think we'll probably keep going at least, you know, for the foreseeable future. I mean, I, I could see us eventually at some point maybe exploring and providing some additional resources for some of these other lectionaries, the narrative uh, you know, the road we make by walking that I, we make the road by every time I get that wrong. We make the road by walking, you know, I mean, some of those other alternatives, um, but at the same time, it's still, you know, the vast majority of preachers, I would say that are preaching on the same text are preaching on the lectionary. And so we're Mm -hmm. able to provide a resource for a larger portion of, of colleagues and folks by doing, by focusing on the lectionary. That's awesome. Well, I, I know that there's probably a lot of Pulpit Fiction podcast fans out there who are uh, wiping the brow and glad to hear that you guys are going to press on. The number of people that know they can log on on Saturday afternoon and uh, you know find that last nugget for what they need the next morning is just, we're all very appreciative. Oh, well, let's be honest. I mean, we, we harass the listeners sometimes about it. And I always love what David Lowe says, you know, whenever, uh, when he was doing the sermon brainwave podcast, whenever they're doing their like NPR, like pledge drive. And he would say, you know, (laughs) if you're listening to this on Monday, consider giving $5. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, consider giving $25. If you're listening to this on Saturday, you better be giving us a hundred (laughs) dollars. But let's be honest. I mean, we've all been there. It's, we've all hit that moment on Saturday where we're like, it's just not coming together or what we thought had all of a sudden the spirit says, no, like this is terrible. Like this isn't going to fly at all. Or, you know, maybe you run it past a friend or a spouse and they're like, what, what are you talking about? And you think, Oh, <laughs> yeah. come on. Yeah. And that's really why when, when we need, you know, and we're, we're just humbled to be one of those resources 
um, and, and happy to, to provide that and help that with other folks. Awesome. Well, as we move to close, there's a set of questions that I like to ask all of our guests. And this first one, I'll let you choose which of the two sides of the coin you'd like to answer. What have been some of the more difficult sermons or preaching experiences that you have had to prepare and deliver? Or do you have any favorite experiences from your preaching and teaching career? Well, I would say um, I'll give you one of each. The hardest one, I would say, was probably this last Pentecost, um, because that Thursday before Pentecost, uh, our beloved secretary, at, when I was at West Suffield, um, Robin Racanti, um, died unexpectedly. She oh, no. wasn't feeling well and had called in sick to work that day and had a heart attack. And it was um, personally, I mean, devastating. We're, we're, we're a very small church, and so that it was just the two of us were the only two people that were regularly there in the office and on staff. And, and she had become a friend, and it was just, that was a really, personally, it was hard. And it, of course, it was also extremely difficult, uh, and the church was grieving. And so that was a really difficult sermon to switch from, you know, planning this, um, you know, gift of the Spirit, Jesus appearing and breathing the Spirit into the disciples in Acts 2, to really shifting gears to, you know, the Romans 8 and the groaning spirit and the spirit of lament and, and how to give the good news. You know, I love, I start every worship with God is good all the time and, and acknowledging the difficulty of proclaiming that in the midst of such pain. So that was, I would say, is one of the hardest sermons to put together and then obviously to deliver and preach as well. And one of the greatest moments I would say preaching was when we started Cathedral in the Night in Northampton, Massachusetts, which is a street church um, that's outside 52 weeks a year. And that first, uh, that first Sunday when we started on January 23rd in Northampton, Massachusetts, it was <laughs> 20 degrees oh and there were gosh. two feet of snow on the ground. And, and there were a couple of things. First of all, it was just a very different experience. We didn't know if anyone was going to show up and we had a ton of people show up. Uh, it just, a, an incredible diversity of persons of poverty, persons who are homeless, um, college professors, students, some churchgoers, folks from Haydenville Congregational Church who were there helping with the meal and all joining in worship. And then also growing up as a congregationalist, you know, in the, in the, in the United Church of Christ and, and that, and then being preaching out on the street. So there are people walking by doing shopping and all that sort of thing. And you're preaching out there on the street, like one of those people that's, you know, you feel like you should be wearing a, a sandwich board that <laughs> right. says the end is near, you know? Yeah. And it was, it was a powerful, amazing, humbling experience. And also just turning to my incredible colleagues, uh, Chris, um, Carlisle and, uh, and Stephanie Smith and just saying, and just, we just looked at each other and we'd spent a lot of time and energy and preparation, but then just looking at this and saying, look what the spirit has done. Yeah. Look with the spirit at like, how, how did this happen? And, um, so yeah, that was, that was a powerful experience that night. How about mm. you, Rob? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to go a little less dramatic in that. <laughs> I, I just think of all the times, lots when I'm just drained, like I just feel tired. Either I was up late or, you know, I was with the family or just do it. You know, it had been a long week and I might come on a Sunday and just feel like this isn't happening. I'm not feeling it. And 
in the worship moment, the choir sings and it picks me up or in the fellowship of, you know, those that have gathered, I see something or my daughter runs and gives me a hug, something happens or I start preaching and, and I at some point pray, you know, God speak through me. It's just a, those moments are reminders that, um, and then, you know, then the sermon happens or the worship happens and, and the most recent time this happened, I was exhausted. I had, for, I don't remember why, but I had gone to bed like past 2 a.m. I hadn't fallen asleep until like past 2 a.m. and then was up at 5 and just physically was was just wiped. But then after the service, people were excited and there was, you know, people were moving during the last song and we're an old, you know, an Oregon church, so there's not yeah. usually moving going on. And like, you know, almost dancing, like, right on the edge of dancing, you know, it's like this amazing worship experience. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that was not me. Yeah. Like, yeah. cause it wasn't, I didn't have it in me, but something happened here. And it was just a great reminder that it's not that what I do is incredibly important, but it's not all about me. There was something else happening in the, in the worship. And I think that's sort of both, right. The, the great and the hard of, you know, I, I think that could kind of fit both of that, both sides of that point. Sure. Exactly. Who have been some of the most impactful preachers or even non-preacher communicators? Uh, who are some of the voices that you have incorporated into who you are as a preacher? Well, Adam Hamilton was very influential for me. You know, I've, I've heard him preach a couple of times, um, and I've heard him speak about, the, you know, sermon crafting. I think that's, you know, probably the one, you know, most influential as far as thinking about how, to, thinking about the preaching moment as, church building as, as disciple building, not just speech giving. I'm trying to think of other preachers. I mean, Sylvester Weatherall is my district superintendent. He's a, he's a great preacher and he's a, he comes from the African-American tradition where there is so much energy and uh, so much uh, passion. And yet he's deeply steeped in the word and the, and the great scholarship. And I think I uh, try to capture that to a certain extent too. I'm, I'm, I, I don't stay behind the pulpit. Um, you know, I, I move around and I, I can get work, you know, I, I get a little excited sometimes. Um, so I think that's those two sort of probably be two most influential in me. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would say, oof, it's a tricky question. You know, I <laughs> mean, is, there's, yeah. there's little bits of everything, you know, I'd like to say, you know, Bill Nagy for sure. Bill Nagy was the pastor that I grew up with and probably one of the only preachers that I heard for the first 18 years of my life. So I think, you know, uh, he his preaching did have a pretty profound impact. But I would also say, to be perfectly honest, you know, Nelson Pierce, who was a um, a colleague and a, a peer of ours at Eden Theological Seminary and one of the best preachers I've ever heard, a phenomenal preacher. You know, Nelson was one of the first uh, folks that I heard preach um, who had the charisma, the charisma, uh, that charismatic preaching that just that that lit that that spirit and fire within you mm. um but also with deep deep theological um foundation and integrity and it was one of the first times i had heard both of those together i'd seen charismatic preaching but which was very kind of loosey goosey when it came to the theology and the biblical scholarship mm-hmm. and and to see that happen for the first time and to see was was a real inspiration for me um, and my preaching to be able to kind of step outside the pulpit. And another one was, I will say, often I think of um, Don Morgan, who is uh, who's now up, it was in, is now up in Connecticut. Although I knew him when he was at Biloxi um, Back Bay Mission in Biloxi, Mississippi. And 
when I was in seminary, I was attending a class there, and we went to this Baptist church, and he's a grew up Pentecostal, but a UCC pastor. And we were there. He was just bringing a bunch of, you know, predominantly white people to this black church and different worship experience, and it was great. And, and we were singing kind of the hymn right before the preaching, and one of the elders came up to him and said, Brother Morgan, do you mind giving the good news? <laughs> just like right there, like right before, like minutes before it's time to give the sermon. And he didn't even pause, didn't blink, just said, absolutely. And, and he got up there, and he's flipping through the Bible, and, and he starts leading the singing, and he was leading this in Amazing Grace, and then preached on, um, oh, what is it, Acts 9, I think it is, with Paul and Silas when they're in the, uh, they're in the jail, and, you know, and there's an earthquake and all that, and they're singing in the midnight hour and preach this thing about, you know, what are you going to do in the midnight hour because mm. it's going to come? And he's preaching to people who are in an extremely impoverished position who are living that midnight hour. And it was one of the best sermons that I had ever heard. I still remember it. And afterward, I said, gosh, that was amazing. Had you preached that before? Like, like how did you know? And he said, he goes, do you know why we sang, why I led us? We had to keep singing Amazing Grace. And I was flipping through the Bible. He goes, because I didn't have a clue what to <laughs> preach on. And I was just, I was praying to God that, that something would speak. And he goes, that spoke to me. And and that reliance on God, that foundation, that, that to really rely on the Spirit, um, you know, a lot of times that's, you know, when I get up there that day, especially in the pulpit, I, there's very many times I think about Don doing that and just thinking that is what we, we put that in the Spirit's hand and just say, you know, not my words, but your words be done. So, so yeah, another big inspiration uh, as well. As well as, I mean, any preacher who's not inspired by Martin Luther King Jr., every year I love listening to his sermons. I mean, and he is just, I can't preach even a tenth of how well he could preach, obviously, uh, but I, I would say he's extremely, I love listening. to. Whenever I need preaching inspiration, I listen to <laughs> his sermons. That's so cool. I, I want to, I'd, I'd forgotten one, one last thing I want to lift up for folks just to commend to them is Martha Simmons, who's a, a great, and she also, I just had the chance, I wasn't thinking about her because I just met her recently, but a phenomenal preacher. I just heard her preach at Chautauqua. Um, she's from, oh, I can't remember, she had a church down, Church of the Redeemer or something down in Atlanta, Georgia. But one of the things that I love that she talks about, and she's been, done some incredible preaching coaching for some great, especially African-American preachers. But one of the things I love that she lifts up is that it is not a question. She goes, there are some preachers who are manuscript preachers and some who aren't. That doesn't determine whether or not you're a good preacher. And I think that for me was a very powerful thing because mm. I think it's, especially nowadays, we think like, if you're going to be a powerful preacher, don't have a manuscript. And yet I think almost every time I've seen Otis Moss preach, he's got his iPad in front of him. Well, the last question for you guys is if any of the listeners out there uh, would like to get in touch and say hi or follow what you guys have going on, how would you like them to uh, reach out to you? Well, I do. I not only we do the Pulpit Fiction podcast, and that's at pulpitfiction.us. That's the the web home of it, and we tweet at Pulpit F Podcast. But I also write a blog myself. I'm I'm uh, known as the Fat Pastor, and that's at fatpastor.me, <laughs> and I'm also Twitter, at Fat Pastor, and I've been doing that for, gosh, almost eight years now, and have, uh, you know, a little following uh, there. So that's a good place, um, the Fat Pastor, or, of course, pulpitfiction.us. Uh, yeah, and for me, I mean, you can, um, I'm I'm rarely on Twitter, but when I am on Twitter, you can always tweet me, uh, at Pastor Pirate. Uh, wait. Is that right? Or is it Pirate Pastor? I should probably know my own Twitter handle. I'll, I? I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. <laughs> uh, okay, perfect. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's there. And there's uh, if you're wondering where I got that name, but you can see my picture on there. I had a friend who 
who drew a, a comic of me as a as a pirate preaching pastor. But pay much more attention to Rob's blog because it's awesome. Expect except when he writes about sports. <laughs> I just tuned those parts out. (laughs) Well, guys, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, It it means so much to me that you guys would be here on the program today. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. And that's episode five of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. You can connect with the show through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon, and that's a great way to send in your feedback, and I love hearing from you all. What did you think of the show? What did you think about our conversation? And I'd love to be able to incorporate some of your feedback in the mid-month episode coming in just a couple of weeks. If you'd like to support the show, head over to our iTunes page and leave a review. It's how you let iTunes know that you care about the show and want others to find it. And of course, a special huge thank you to Rob and Eric for their time and wisdom today. I'll be back in a couple of weeks, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.